welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. series on the life of Jesus, looking at his teaching and life and ministry. As you probably know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four gospel accounts of his life, three different people chosen to share what God was saying to them, what God showed them. They all were there at the time and and recording uh, different things that Jesus did and said. And in Matthew 5, uh, I want to read... um, Just the first two verses, it says, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. And let's just stop there. If you you read on, which we won't have time to do today, but for the next three chapters, what follows is what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew records five sermons or discourses or teaching sessions of Jesus. And this is the first one, the longest one. In fact, it's the longest continuous section of Jesus speaking recorded in the New Testament. And, uh, and it's been called the most important speech in human history, most profound words that anyone's ever spoken. And um, a lot of people have been touched by what follows, what Jesus taught. Uh, Listen to what some people have said about this Sermon on the Mount. Harry Truman, who was US President um, from 1945 to 1953, so he served two terms, eight years, from the end of the Second World War into the beginning of the Cold War. So he saw some of the troubles and turmoil that the world faces at times in his position. And he said this, I do not believe that there is a problem in this country or in fact the world today, which could not be settled if approached through the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. (laughs) Oswald Chambers, you may have heard of him, great Bible teacher, wrote fantastic um, Bible, uh, uh, what's the word, a commentary, a devotional, Uh, my utmost for his highest, fantastic um, uh, devotional you can uh, get a hold of. He said that the Sermon on the Mount is the summary statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit has a hold of us. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you may have heard of him. What an amazing guy, a famous theologian, pastor, rebel against the Nazis, uh, died, executed, hanged by the Nazis in a concentration camp in 1945, two weeks before the camp was liberated at the age of 39. And yet he left uh, such profound teaching and writing behind and he wrote about the best approach we can have towards what Jesus teaches here. He said, humanly speaking, we could understand and interpret the Sermon on the Mount in a thousand different ways. Jesus knows only one possibility, simple surrender and obedience, not interpreting it or applying it, but doing it and obeying it. And so it's really worth listening to uh, from the sounds of it and obeying what Jesus teaches in it. 
um, which we can do. And I encourage you to do on your own. As I said, it goes on for three chapters and we haven't got time to go through it all. We're going to look at just the beginning of what Jesus taught. But even before we get into that, I want you to notice again what we just read. It said that the disciples gathered around him. And literally and simply in the original Greek language, it just says, that it says they came to him. The Greek words just mean that. Uh, I like what Eugene Peterson does. He puts it in the message version, in a, in a modern um, phraseology, terminology. Uh, and he says this in uh, the message for the first couple of verses. When Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were, who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. Everyone say climbing companions. And this is what he said. I want you to notice that phrase, climbing companions, for a few minutes. These are the people who bothered to make the climb, who followed Jesus so they could hear from him close up. And I, I think there's something, when I read that, something there for us to think about. You know, some theologians actually contest that the only people to hear this sermon were the 12 closest disciples of Jesus, including Matthew, who recorded it. But others point out that it doesn't actually say 12 disciples. It says disciples. And we know that Jesus chose the 12 from a bigger group of disciples. And so there are the 12 and then there are more disciples. And in fact, there were other people around at some level of connection, because if you read on at the end of the third chapter of the discourse, the end of Matthew 7, it says um, that uh, the, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. So at some point, there's more people involved than just the 12 or just a few disciples. But so we're not sure exactly who was where, but, but we, we can be assured of one thing, that if you were one of those who were really close to Jesus, you really did hear what he had to say. There might have been people so far away that they couldn't quite hear. Maybe some people didn't bother to come close at all. But there were those who climbed with him, those who were his climbing companions, and they got to hear firsthand what Jesus had to say. And, you know, we're not even told exactly which mountain that he climbed, but the historians generally agree it's, it's probably a mountain that's still there. They call it now the Mount of Beatitudes because that's the first section of this sermon that we'll have a look at. Um, and it's right next to the Sea of Galilee. It's 155 metres above sea level. Now, they call it a mountain, but it's more of a hill, let's face it. Um, certainly if you were a Kiwi, you'd think it's a hill. Like our friends, you know, uh, Ian Cowie, who's going to be coming um, to preach for us in August, whose daughter, Rebecca, is marrying Kale and they're probably down there. We sort of have Kale a little bit these days, and then he's down there. But in their church, they passed it down in Maroubra. We drove around the Hunter Valley once uh, with the Cowies, and they grew up in New Zealand and pastored the church in Queenstown that Caleb, our son-in-law, grew up in. And, of course, if you've ever been to Queenstown, there's the Remarkables, you know, these remarkable mountain range, and there's, you know, beautiful hills and mountains all over the southern island. Of, of New Zealand and we're driving around the, uh, the Hunter Valley once with the Cowies and Ruth said oh you know aren't the mountains lovely around here there's a little pause and then they sort of politely said look 
no offence, but they're really not mountains, you know. I mean, even your snowy hills are more snowy hills than the snowy mountains, you know. And, uh, and so I guess it's a little bit like that here. It's 155 metres is, you know, not that high. But it's still high enough of a climb to separate the casual from the more committed. And I just think it's a good question when I read that, to ask myself and for you to ask yourself, if I was there on that day, would I have made the climb? Or more to the point, do I make the climb, figuratively speaking? In other words, do I make an effort to be with Jesus? When I get up each day, do you, and when you get up each day, do you set aside a time and a place to seek Him, to be with Him, to pray to Him, to read His Word, to fellowship with Him, to allow Him to speak to you, to, to, to stir a, a passion that, is waiting to be lit up inside us to walk with him that, uh, that may not get stirred up if we're not actually connected to him. Because, you know, you get influenced by the people you hang around with. You know, like you might not know of or know anything about or care about soccer, for example, but if you hang around with Byron, you might start calling it football. You know, you, uh, you might think it's the best kind of football. You will go along and he'll explain to you why that was a really good move and the rules of the game. And you, you, then you, and the next thing, you, you're all into it. And then you're a crazy, you know, Mariners supporter and you buy your ticket and you're going along with it. And that can happen in all kinds of areas of life. That's probably happened to you. You might have never had an interest. I mean, I hate fishing. I'm waiting to to enjoy fishing. It may still happen. I doubt it, but it may happen. If I hung out with Frosty enough, if he'd be kind enough to take me out on his boat, you know, if, <laughs> you know, if, he, if he could, or, or, if, or when he does take me, he could just catch a fish rather than just putt around woi woi for a couple of hours, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. He hasn't got a microphone. Look, I'm sure you can catch fish. I just haven't seen it happen. But... Uh, <laughs> Hey, you know, for me, fishing is just a, a boring place to get sunburnt near the water, you know? I think if I'm going to be the near the water, I want to just run, get hot enough, jump in the ocean and go home. That's, you know, and if you're hanging around me, I'll get you excited about running or motorbikes or, you know, and, and so fishing's great, okay? We go, all right, just try and... Sarve that offence, you know, just try to... Um, I'll give you a hug later. Oh, boy. Can we have a vote about the hug thing at the beginning of the church? Can I... Next time I'm running the service, I'm going to say, just give someone a distant, cool handshake and welcome to the church. I, I don't know. If, if you find that irky, you know, if you're a visitor here today and you got freaked out by that, I just want to apologise on behalf of my wife. Um, it's just the love. I know she's... Shocked because she's not apologetic at all. But if you found that creepy, I'm sorry, it's probably going to happen most of the time. You know, whenever she's certainly welcoming you to church. Like I said, oh, it's biblical, but it says greet each other with a holy kiss. You want to really ramp it up? Flip. (laughs) The Russian Baptists do kiss each other, men and men, on the lips, baby. We're not Russian Baptists, okay? So just, if that freaks you out, just think a hug, it could be worse. It's all right. Anyway, back to the Bible. Um, oh, whoa, look, what have I, 
What have I created? Deacons. Oh no, he's offended. He's, I say, uh, he's useless. He, he's, just, he's just sitting there. He, <laughs> all right, come on. Come on. Um, I'm just saying that if you hang out with people, you'll be influenced by them. And so isn't it a good idea to hang out with Jesus? Yeah, that's the main point there. And yet we've got to make an effort. We've got to make the climb. We've got to be a climbing companion, as it says here, because not everyone is. Plenty of people, including Christians, who know the way to the top of the, of the mountain, the, the hill, who know who's waiting there for them, still don't make the climb. Okay, it's very easy not to be a climber. I'll, I'll give you three quick reasons. Number one, there's a lot of things to distract you and prevent you from making that climb, from making the time to be with him. Because, you know, you can get up in the morning and it's all happening. There's the mess you've got to tidy up from last night. There's that thing that's got to be put away. There's the kids to get ready for school. There's, oh, look at the time. I've got to get ready for work. And it's all going on. And before you know it, you're in the day. You're just, it's all happening. Life's coming at you fast. You've got a million things to do. And, oh, Lord, are you there somewhere? Help me, bless me, follow me, please. I mean, I've got, I just, I've got to go. That's not really climbing the mountain, is it? And that's easily done. And then even on a day off, when you've got the time, there's a lot of distractions, a lot of attractions that are distractions. There's, you've got time to enjoy life. Wow, there's a lot to enjoy. You've got all these fun social media, entertainment app, you know, options these days. You've got the beach if you live on the Central Coast. You've got fishing if you're keen. Um, you know, you've got, there's, there's a lot to do. There's a lot of fun things. Um, and so there's just distractions. Secondly, it's easy not to climb the mountain because um, there's others who climb the mountain. So it's easier just to hear from them. You can come to church, you get some good teaching. Someone's hopefully read the Bible a little before they start, you know, rambling on and they got something that they've heard from God and they share away. You can not just even come to church, you can stay at home and go to every church in the world these days and listen to the podcast, all these great preachers and, and you can... Download great Kindle books and you get free delivery book depository. Fantastic. Get the book sent from England and there's the latest Christian teaching book and, and others are hearing about stuff and seeing God for themselves and he's speaking to them and you can just learn from them. It's not quite the same, you know. Like I can, I can hear about someone can say, oh, I, you know, I met so-and-so. Oh, I, I had lunch. With, with, with so-and-so, oh, that's great, tell me about it, yeah. But it'd be pretty cool if, that you really liked that person if you actually had an invite to be with them yourself. You know, you wouldn't turn it down and say, no, I don't want to go, I, I heard about him, you know. You know someone said, oh, I just said, you know, someone you admire, you know. Imagine your friend says, I got to hang out with him and, you know, Peter Gilmore, you're into cooking, you know, the snow egg guy, you know, someone says, oh, I had a cooking lesson with Peter Gilmore and then he invited me to stay back for lunch. We went to his restaurant not long ago and there he was going out and he sort of looked over and smiled and, you know, I, I, I thought, oh, oh, you're the guy, you're famous. Well, I'm not even a cook, I'm a chef. I'm not, you know, I like eating the food. I don't, I'm not real good at preparing it. But even then, I just, oh, wow, he's that famous guy. Yeah, yeah. And imagine if someone said, oh, I've, I've just had lunch with him and he's, you know, downloaded all these 
great secrets and we cook together and, and then they said, and he's free, you want to come tomorrow? No, no, just tell me about it. You wouldn't, would you? If you really, you'd go, yes, please, I'd love to. You know, well, it's the same with Jesus, you know. And then the third thing that can prevent us from climbing the mountain is the fact that it takes an effort to get up a mountain, you know. It, it, uh, it's easier not to. Some people that day, on that very day that Jesus delivered the famous Sermon on the Mount, were there, down by the shores of Galilee, and then he went up the hill and they didn't because they were soaking up the rays, kicking back, maybe doing a bit of fishing, uh, on, you know, maybe catching something or not, but, you know, just... Uh, and, uh, and, and, and they, they were there. They had the opportunity. They would have seen Jesus go up and thought, yeah, I couldn't be bothered. You know, so we've all done this. You have been sightseeing and you just couldn't be bothered to get out of the car. Or you go, you know, there's the lookout and this little sign says, you know, 400 metre loop, three hours. You ever notice that the, the time they always say on those suggested bushwalks? You just think, oh, that's a, long, that's a long time. And then you come back, you're back in the car in 20 minutes. You think, who was that for? A snail? You know, like the, the recommend, except New Zealand. They're a little more realistic. I think they're fitter in New Zealand when they say this is... No, no, I don't run. But you... <laughs> Okay, sometimes I do. All right, that's true. Sometimes I do run. But that's only because you're bird watching and there's nothing else to do. And I go for a run. I, okay, this true true story, church. I have literally... Hey, 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 who's got the pulpit? You'll have your moment. Or, or not. Deacons. Oh, oh, sorry, no. True story. Ruth has been looking at birds in this position still waiting for a bird in one particular tree. I have gone running, come back in one hour and she's in exactly the same position. True story. Oh, um, and, uh, and, and, but she found the rare bird and there you go, life-changing. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know... You know, some of the lads here, um, we've gone out to, at different times, the Arimba um, mountain bike trails. Um, and there's an awesome downhill run that is, you know, fast and furious and some good corners and you get the right bike and, you know, poor old Jono didn't have the right bike. Which, and I uh, haven't done that. It's not the same one, is it? Oh. And so John had Ruth's old bike that hasn't got very good suspension and just... We're jumping and he's like, yep, I'm in too. Ah! And of course, the bike just didn't have the suspension. It came off. But so I don't know why I said that, except to feel sorry for you. But, but, but that's, the point is, it's a great, if with the right bike, it's a great track and it's downhill and it's easy and sweeping corners and all that. But the pedal up to the top is the tough bit. You've got to get up in order to go down. Everyone wants to go down, but it's hard to go up. And yet it's worth it if you go up. And the same with the bushwalk. It's only when you climb that extra hill to the top of the, where the sign says, look out this way. When you get there, that's when you get the best view. And, uh, you know, the same with the mountains of New Zealand or the Swiss Alps. You can watch a TV doco about the beautiful Swiss mountains or the mountains in New Zealand or something. But it's not quite the same as actually being there in the flesh, walking around for yourself, doing it on your own. 
And so it's the same thing with Jesus. The, you know, you can hear about him, you can talk to someone who's been with him, but it's really the most satisfying experience personally you can ever have. And that's why the Bible says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Because you could extrapolate that. The psalmist could have gone and said, conversely, outside God's presence, the joy is lacking. The joy is minimal. The joy is measured. The joy is kind of there, but doesn't quite hit the same spot. You can have fun experiences, happy things going on, but it's not as satisfying deep in your soul as being in the presence of God. And there's more to it than just your personal joy as well. There's a lot of good stuff that can flow. Well, let's look at the beginning of this great sermon. And then what I'm saying is pretty much kind of the theme that this touches on all about being close to Jesus. If you read on Matthew 5, we're going to read from verse 2 right through to verse 12. And this is what's known as the Beatitudes. It says, He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me just give it to you in another way. I love what the NLT, the New Living Translation, the modern, more modern translation says, Blessed are those who realise their need for God. Because I used to struggle with that concept, poor in spirit. I thought God was into prosperity. Well, I think it's a good way of putting it. Blessed are those people who just realise their natural poverty. We realise our need for God. And then we read on verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's beautiful, isn't it? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Just want you to notice the tense. All these are present tense. It's not all, oh, one day maybe you might sort of hopefully in the future. Blessed are right now. There's blessing of God that flows right in the midst of what sometimes isn't a blessing. And these all give a picture of the character of a true disciple of Jesus, don't they? They the character and then the commensurate blessing that flows as a result. And notice that Jesus doesn't teach here on on how to become that kind of person. He does that more. We read on in the, the rest of the Gospels and then right throughout the New Testament. But here, he's just providing a neat summary of the cause and effect that occurs for people who live according to God's will. They're simple but profound sayings. They're proverbs and they're, they're short and, and meaningful. And notice that the meaning here takes a, dev, a really a very different focus to what the world around us, what our society would say. Because uh, if you were to gauge the, the collective wisdom from the, the world around us to put together some statements about who should be or would be blessed? Who are the happy ones? Who are the successful ones? Who are the blessed ones? It wouldn't read like this, would it? It'd read more like these. 
Blessed are those who are really good looking and cool, for theirs is the biggest following on Instagram. Blessed are those who fight their way to the top, for they shall be satisfied with the most material possessions. Blessed are those whose focus is only on themselves because you can't rely on anyone else to look after you. Blessed are those who think generosity is dropping a few coins into the rural fire service collection tin when you're at the shops because that leaves most of your money for the number one cause in life, you. Blessed are you when others approve of you because that makes you feel good and it means more likes when you post something on Facebook. Blessed are those who are wealthy and successful, for they shall live in the right suburb, drive the right car, and pay for the right plastic surgeon to help them look their best, um, etc., etc. You know, that, that's that's you know. Whereas this, this is nothing like that. It doesn't sound like a blessing at all when you read what these people are up to, what's going on in their life. Jesus declares people to be blessed, even though on the face of it, they don't seem to be blessed at all. Look, he's talking about people who are poor in spirit. People who mourn, people who are hungry and thirsty, people who are persecuted, people who have others lie about them and speak evil of them. Doesn't sound that blessed. What's going on? Why and how can you be blessed when this goes on in your life? Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10, when we're weak, then we're strong. When we turn to Jesus with humility, then his power is released in our life. When we give up demanding our way and fighting for our rights and what we think are our privileges and rights, then we enter into a space where the blessing of God flows. And so this is the great paradox of the Christian life, that rather than fighting for what we want in life, we are better off giving it all up for his sake. And in turn, we receive a much more abundant, rewarding, satisfying, blessed and meaningful life from God than we could ever have on our own. And so this is a higher way of living for those who climb with Jesus. It's the kind of life waiting for anyone who wants to be his climbing companion, who follow him up the mountain, away from the attractions and the distractions of the world. And who, when they're up the mountain, find something or rather find someone who is so much more amazing and satisfying, exciting, etc., than anything the world's got to offer. And then, of course, we walk with Jesus and then we find these blessings flow into our lives. And we find that God brings things that we wanted, that we gave up chasing in order to chase after him. And if you only chase after the things, you'll never find them. You never find enough of them. You give them all up, seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added to you. It's, uh, it's a wonderful irony or paradox or, or a, a different way of living, isn't it? And, um, you know, I, this year, I just bumped into a friend a couple of months at the conference in the last few days. And we both met the Lord at the same time. It was about February or March, don't remember the exact date, of 40 years ago, 1978. And I know, I know, I, can, I must, yeah, you, you, I, how could that be, you think? Surely not that old, no, 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 no. But, um, but over those years, I've learned a few things. I've learned a few things um, from other people, from, from, uh, from listening to other people, from observing other people's decisions, <laughs> good and bad, from the fruit of my own decisions, good and bad, from, from studying books, 
university and more than that, just the school of life, as people say. And I would say the single best thing that I've learned over the years that I should do, that I've realised that I should do with my life, is to seek God, is to be with Jesus, is to maintain a humble, soft, hungry, open, prayerful, passionate heart for Jesus. It's really the most important thing you can do with your life. To make a commitment to Christ, number one, and if you've never done that and you're here today, I've got to encourage you to be born again, as Jesus called it. You know, it's not just an American phrase, oh, a born again Christian, what's that? Jesus actually said you can be born again. You've got a brand new way of living. Oh, wow. You make one decision, Jesus, I believe in you. Bang, it all happens. You don't have to earn it. You just accept him and believe in him. Even if you don't understand, it's a little bit like, you know, stepping out into the unknown, but it's awesome. But there's an ongoing life decision that Christians are called to make, an ongoing calling to keep climbing up that mountain. To, to, to be the climbing companion with Jesus. And, uh, and that's the, the daily decision that we need to make. And, um, and it's our calling. And uh, it's not just about you know, being a nice person or, or going to church. It's that personal time with Jesus, to be touched by him, changed by him, walk in step with the Holy Spirit, and then hopefully as a result, living out a different set of values to the selfish ways of our carnal self and the world around us, but the values that we can pick up from God himself and to have a different set of priorities and pursuits and, and passion and number one being Jesus himself. And, uh, and of course, you know, what it looks like for each of us might be different. You know, it could be early in the morning that you set some time aside or throughout the day, sila moments like the psalmist talks about, pausing moments where you just turn to God and, or maybe in the evening, it might be, you know, and wherever it might be. You might have a mountain, right, near where you are, a hill, some bush you go or the beach or you lock yourself in your laundry in the morning and the garage or, where, you know, whatever it looks like. As long as we've got somewhere to be with him. And, you know, we get to hear from him. You know, prayer's two-way. You know, we're not just got the shopping list. Right, God, I've got five minutes. You ready? Oh, I need this, 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 you know. Amen, please. Uh, you know, listening, hearing. We all want to hear from God. You know, like I just spoke to a friend at the conference um, yesterday who's a pastor. And he says there's a lady in his church, whenever they get a visiting prophet, who comes to the church, she wears the same bright red top and sits on the front row. <laughs> and she's trying to get the attention of the prophet, you know. Well, well you know, good honour. And maybe you've got a prophet, you know, a, a, a prophetic T-shirt or something that you wear, you know, or no shirt. That would make it... Uh, I'm not giving any ideas when we have, uh, you know, Prophet Ian Cowie coming in August. Don't get carried away. But, um, you know, we can... Not just prophets are great, but they're just passing on what they feel God is saying. But you can hear for yourself direct, firsthand. Yeah, come on. And uh, you know, um, it's the challenge is, we, as I said, we've got so many distractions. Ruth and I had a unique experience 25 years ago when we lived in Russia in the early 90s because we had no other distractions. In the evenings these days, you got Netflix, friends on the phone, Facebook TV, you know, all kinds of stuff. You got maybe your own home that you want to, you know, decorate. And 
we were there in just a crazy time in history and, you know, in winter it's dark from like 3pm and you get the kids in bed, not at that time, you wish you could, but, you know, they're little munchkins running around and you finally, you know, get them to sleep and you're tired and you're in your little apartment, it's dark, there is a television and the only TV shows are in Russian and worse than that, they used to... They used to get Spanish soap operas and have one male Russian voice do the dubbing for the whole thing. So oh, you've probably heard me preach about this before. It was just hilarious because you'd have this one deep Russian guy putting it in a Russian context and, and there'd be this, you know, love kind of moment, you know. No, Sveta, please do not leave me. I must go, Maurice. I am leaving you. No, please, Sveta. It's like, who's saying? And you realise it's, it's the same voice with the same monotone. <laughs> and so that was TV, you know, Spanish soap operas with one male Russian voice. But we had videos. We had a video machine. So we had a few videos for the kids. And we had three movies on video that we'd brought from Australia. We had Ben-Hur, Chariots of Fire and um, The Blues Brothers. And so that's why my children can recite the Blues Brothers. Um, and, uh, and, oh, that's right. And, and, and um, we only had Ben-Hur because the pastor, the Russian pastor, had come back from visiting Australia. We arrived there and he came down and, and he came back and he had a video of Ben-Hur. We thought, oh, great, it's an old movie. And we'd watch a little bit each night and we'd savour it up because it was long and it was, you know, great message in it and all that. so we enjoyed that and then we got a package sent to us which of course didn't come to Russia we had to get it from Finland because every few months we'd drive over the border and get our mail and banking you couldn't do banking in Russia it was too dangerous so we get the cash out of the bank shove it in the kids nappy bag smuggle it back across the border you know and Pastor Christine Pringle sent us a package and there were some I don't know magazines or something and she sent us a video all the way from Australia a movie to watch Ben-Hur, we already had it. Of all the movies that had been made in the history of the world up to 1992, she sent one of the three that we already had. Thank you, God. Thank you very much. We just thought, wow, God's got a sense of humour. He was like, he was saying, you don't need the movies. We're like, really, God, thank you. And so, long story short, we just discovered or developed, I should say, we already knew how to pray. We knew, we experienced God's presence. We knew how to seek God. But we were able to develop that joy in His presence because there was nothing else to enjoy. There were fewer distractions and so we would just take, take it in turns because the office in the church was nearby and we'd just go to the office while one of us was in the flat with the kids and just pray and enjoy God's presence. We weren't doing business. It finished with all the, oh God, we need this to happen and, and pray for this and pray for that. But it was just, well, I've got nothing else to do. I'm just going to seek God and be with Him and, and enjoy His presence. And as I said, we can all do that, but we've just got to overcome the distractions that are more apparent in our world today. I'm running out of time. I just wanted to say one more thing, that Jesus didn't want us just to go and stay on the mountain. Those guys came back down the mountain and we are called to be out with people with what we have, you know, because in, uh, in the book of John, Jesus um, prays for us uh, and he says, Lord, I, I, I'm not asking that you take these people out of the world. He says, I ask that you keep them from the evil one 
because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. That's about as close as, you know, when people say, oh, well, as the Bible says, we're in the world, but not of it. Not quite a scripture, but that's kind of probably what they're alluding to. So Jesus is saying, we are not of this world. There is a sense where we are different. We should feel, it's okay to feel a little different, disconnected, unsettled. You know, the world's never going to offer you what your soul really requires. It's only in the presence of God. So we do that. We go and seek him. But notice when Jesus teaches and prays that prayer in John 17, straight after, he then says, Lord, as you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And so when we go to the mountain, it's awesome. We climb with Jesus, but then we come back down and we've only been on the mountain, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others and what we carry into others' lives, yeah? So when we're touched by Jesus, we hopefully are shining a little more with his love and life and light and we share that with the world around us. Amen? praise him so let's be climbing companions yeah set the time aside spend the time with him in his presence and then steward that presence carry that presence into the world around us come on let's close in prayer we hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon for more information or to contact us visit c3church.narara.net